Once upon a time. In a land far away. I'm Katrina. And I'm Jeff. And welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat. While we retell you a thing. Welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Great to have you back with us. As usual, we've got another great episode planned. Today we're going to be talking about Sleeping Beauty, one that I'm excited about going back to one of the more familiar fairy tales, but going to get into some of the uh, versions that people may not be familiar with, which is always one of my favorite things to learn about. I'm kind of giving in to some like feedback that I've gotten from people before when I'm covering this topic because they're like, Like, oh, I've heard that there's more gruesome, like horrible, darker versions of this story. And can I have it? And I'm like, oh, fine. You can have it. (laughs) Let's get gruesome. I'm going to do it. This episode definitely comes with content warnings. So make sure that you have looked at the content warnings at a time. Bring on the grisly Uh (laughs) details. Jeff is going to be starting us off with the Grimm's Brothers version of the tale. Yes, this is the... Brothers Grimm version, uh, specifically the one I'm referencing is a translation of the 1857 published version or a translation of the 1857 version. And it begins as such in past times, which I just love because it's not once upon a time, (laughs) although it's like super generic, like in past times, like just sometime that was before now. (laughs) Yesterday. There were a king and queen who every day were like, oh, man, we want so bad to have a kid. But no matter what they did, they couldn't have one. And it was very sad. But one day while the queen was sitting in a bath, there was a frog that crept out of the water and jumped onto the ground and said, your wish shall be fulfilled. And before a year passes, you will bring a daughter into the world. We're going to get a cease and desist from Jim Henson. (laughs) (laughs) That was generic frog voice. (laughs) So anyway, this frog is like announcing, guess what? Your wish is going to come true. You're going to be a mother. And then he hops off and presumably gets into some other lady's bath that he needs to tell that she's going to have a baby as well. And... Because this was a magical frog, a year goes by, and guess what? The queen gives birth to a baby, and it is a beautiful girl. And the king and the queen, they could not contain themselves. They were just so overjoyed about finally having this child. They ordered a huge celebration to happen in the kingdom. So he invited, you know, not only his relatives, but all of his friends and every his acquaintances, everybody he knew. And he was like, you know what? We're even going to invite the wise women because we want them to be kind of kindly disposed towards this child so they're not going to get into any shenanigans with her. And there were 13 wise women in their kingdom. But because they only had 12 golden plates, they were like, oh man, you know what? It would be really poor taste to have one of the wise women have to eat off of a non-golden plate. So we're just going to not invite one of them. Being such bad taste. (laughs) And nothing bad could happen. 
from not inviting one of these wise women. Heavy foreshadowing. And so the feast came and it was, everyone was celebrating. And, you know, a time came when all the wise women were like, okay, you know what? We're going to present the child with our magical gifts. And so the first one gives her the gift of virtue, the second beauty, the third wealth. And so the wise women started giving gifts, basically anything that you could ask for. The 11th one had just pronounced her blessing when the 13th, who was the one who was not invited to the party, suddenly poof, burst into the room. And she was none too pleased for having been left off of the gift list. And before anyone greets her, before she greets anyone else, she just cries out in a loud voice, In the princess's 15th year, she shall prick herself with a spindle and fall over dead. And then without saying another word, she turned and walked out of the hall. And everybody was horrified. But the 12th wise woman, who hadn't yet offered her wish, was like, well, that was kind of a bummer. (laughs) Stepped forward and unable to undo the curse that was put by the 13th, was able to soften it. And so she said, it shall not be to her death. The princess will only fall into a hundred year deep sleep, which is, you know, clearly better. Clearly, yeah, it's better than death, yeah. So the king still was a little freaked out. He's like, he didn't want his daughter to die, but he also didn't want his daughter to really go into a hundred year deep sleep. Because, I mean, honestly, it's kind of like effectively death by the time she wakes up, like all of the people that she knows and her loved ones would be probably dead. So it's kind of like, it's, anyway, so he's... <laughs> it's It's a blessing and a curse. Exactly. So the king is like, you know what? This is kind of an avoidable issue. No spindles, no problem. So he put out an order that all the spindles in the whole kingdom should be burned. Which I'm just going to say that, like, if you take out all the textiles of any, like, kingdom and, like, the industry for that, that's really bad for the economy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, if nothing else, they're... um, you know, productivity will go way down because they may not be able to use like, you know, the spinning wheels, but maybe a drop spindle or something. Mm. Can't spin thread as much or as fast, but Mm. you may still get it done. That's true. You've learned many, many things. I have. Thanks (laughs) to this podcast, I know what a drop spindle is. (laughs) So as the years go by, the king protecting his daughter from the evil, evil spindles of the world All the wise women's gifts were fulfilled. She was beautiful. She was well-behaved. She was friendly, intelligent. Everyone who saw her just absolutely loved and adored her. And she grew up to be 15 years old, which is when she was supposed to prick herself on a spindle and fall over dead. So she was walking around the house alone. The king and queen were not home. I always think it's funny that it's like her birthday and they're not home. Yeah. I always imagine that they're like going to like the store to buy like a cake. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, Let's we should probably, yeah, they're like, we should probably just go pick that up. And it's like, you know, on the very first day that possibly that the curse could be fulfilled, they're like, you know what? It's fine. We can just leave her alone. We went overboard and burned all the spindles in the whole kingdom. She's probably going to be safe. Yeah. But, All of the other wise women's gifts were fulfilled. So reason stands that this one, this curse would stand as well. So the girl is alone in the castle. She's walking around from place to place. She's looking in all the rooms. 
And then she finally comes along a tower, which seems like she'd never been in in her first, you know, 15 years of life, which is must be a pretty sweet life if you're like after 15 years of living someplace like, oh, I've never been to this part of my house before. <laughs> uh, so she climbs up this old winding staircase and arrives at a door and there was a lock in the door with a rusty key. She turns that lock and opens it and inside she finds an old woman with a spindle busily spinning her flax. And she's like, hey, old woman, what are you doing there? Because she'd never seen a spindle before because they were all burned. (laughs) So the old woman's like, I'm spinning, you know, making some thread. And the girl is like, oh, my gosh, what is that thing dancing so merrily about? Looking at the spindle. Because, again, she was pretty amazed because she'd never seen one. And no sooner had she touched the spindle that she was pricked in her finger. And the magic curse was fulfilled the instant it pricked her finger. She fell onto a bed that was standing there, convenient, and fell into a deep sleep. And this is where there's a bit of a plot twist, because even though it wasn't explicitly stated in the curse, not only did she fall asleep, but this sleep spread throughout the entire castle. The king and queen, who had just returned home, walked into the hall and they fell asleep in their thrones. All of their attendants fell asleep. The horses fell asleep in their stalls. Dogs in the courtyard, pigeons on the roof. Even flies on the wall fell asleep. No creature, not even the inanimate objects, because the fire that was on the hearth stopped moving, and it fell asleep too. Food stopped cooking. A cook who was about to, this was my absolute favorite detail, the cook in the kitchen who was about to pull on the uh, kitchen boy's hair for doing something wrong, mid-tug, falls asleep and lets the boy loose. And even the wind stopped blowing, and there was not even a leaf in any of the trees that were stirring around the castle. So this whole castle just like instantly put under magical sleep. And around the outside of the castle, this like huge thorn hedge began to grow. And every year it got bigger and bigger until it was just covering the entire castle. And like people couldn't even see that there was a castle there anymore. Not even like, you know, the flag that was on the highest roof could be seen. After, you know, a long time had gone by, legends started circulating around the land that there was this beautiful sleeping princess named Little Briar Rose, because that's what the princess was called in this in the legend that was spreading. And it was also told that there were princes that would come wanting to, you know, force their way through the hedge into the castle, but they could not succeed because, you know, the thorns were so thick that they would just kind of like ensnare these men and they would not be able to free themselves and they would just die inside of the the thorns. That's my favorite. There's some some grisly details for you. Not only are these like <laughs> people sleeping inside of this castle, but there's all these skeletons of princes like just hanging from the what, the hedge bushes outside. Just what I love about that is this concept that like to all of us, we're the hero of our own story. So like all of these princes were kind of like, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to like find a like a princess. I'm going on this quest. I'm going to be this person. It's like, nope dead (laughs) exactly so not everyone succeeded there were plenty that just went to their death but many 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 years later another prince came into the country thinking that he might actually be the one and he heard an old man telling the legend of this hedge that there was a castle behind it about the beautiful princess who'd been asleep for a hundred years and about you know how the the king and the queen and all the attendants in the castle were just all sleeping and he knew that from the stories that, that this prince's grandfather had told him that many princes had come and, quote, tried to penetrate the thorn hedge, but gotten stuck in it and died. So the young man, the prince said, you know what? I'm not afraid. Even though all these other people have died, again, I've got unearned confidence. 
I'm gonna go and see this beautiful briar rose for myself. And the old man was like, no, 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 don't do it. List, I've, tons of princes have tried before and they're dead. You will see their skeletons. But the hundred years had passed, not that the prince knew this. And the day had come when little Briar Rose was supposed to wake up. So when the prince approached the thorn hedge, it wasn't actually a thorn hedge at all anymore. But there were these beautiful flowers that were, you know, separating by themselves to allow him to pass through without any harm. So he was able to just cross through the hedge. And he started seeing, you know, the, the horses and the hunting dogs and the pigeons and everyone's you know, the animals sleeping. He was even able to see the flies on the wall that were asleep and everyone that had fallen asleep, they were still asleep. The king and queen in their thrones, the attendants lying asleep in the hall. And he was walking through his castle. It was like so quiet that he could just hear his own breath. But finally he came to the tower, opened the door. And in that room was little Briar Rose sleeping. And there she lay. She was so beautiful. He couldn't take his eyes off her even more beautiful than the legend had said. And he bent over and he gave her a kiss And when he touched her with the kiss, little Briar Rose opened her eyes, awoke, and looked at him kindly. And maybe not now is the time to interject that it was like just super lucky timing rather than like, quote unquote, true love's kiss. I think it's a very good time to interject that. (laughs) But it was just like, dude got super lucky that he happened to kiss her at the right moment because... There was nothing about that uh, in the curse. No, because it was like the wise woman when she like did the counter spell or whatever, she had said. That it was a hundred years. Yeah. And at the end of a hundred years, she'd wake up. He just so happened to be like in the room perving on her. At the end of the 100th anniversary of her 15th birthday. So her 115th birthday. Happy birthday. So when she woke up. Um, after being kissed by a stranger, they went downstairs together and the king woke up, the queen woke up, all the royal attendants and everyone woke up and looked at each other in amazement. Even all the animals started waking up. They were wagging their tails. The dogs were, the pigeons were, started pulling their heads up from their wings, flitting around and flying in the fields. And the flies on the wall, which I think everyone wouldn't necessarily have minded if they had just stayed asleep or died, they started creeping about again. The fire in the kitchen came back on and the cook was finally able to box that kitchen boy's ears and commit the act of child abuse that he'd been waiting over a hundred years to commit. (laughs) The real happy ending to the story. (laughs) And the prince's marriage, which comes out of nowhere to Little Briar Rose, was celebrated with great splendor and they lived happily ever after until they died. Or did they? The end. Or did they? So I just say that because now I'm going to tell you a story (laughs) where that's not the end of the story. (laughs) Nice. So, but I guess, I don't know, probably before we get into that, what were the things that were new and unfamiliar from even the Grimm's fairy tale that you like weren't familiar with? Yeah. So the things that were kind of new and unfamiliar to me were the frog. Which, you know, you can never go wrong with a magical frog. Yeah, but just like at the beginning, there's this, like, thing with a talking frog that you've never have, like, encountered before. Yeah, which, you know, like, it wasn't wasn't surprising either because there's, like I said before, like, frogs and talking frogs and things come up in other fairy tales all the time. It was, it was the first time I'd heard uh, her name as being Little Briar Rose, which I thought was interesting as well. There's a part in the Disney movie version where the fairies are hiding 
the princess in the woods, and they call yeah. her Briar Rose. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah. That's so funny. That's, and it's like a, t- a callback to this. It is. It is a callback to this. That's cool. Yeah. Um, speaking of fairies, it was also interesting that there were like 13 wise women, not fairies, but like wise women, which is kind of like, like uh, not witches, but it's kind of like, you know, magical uh, women. Yeah. So what's also interesting about the numbers is it started off as 12 and 12 is considered like a lucky number. Yeah. But then... 13 show up like the 13th shows up right which which is an unlucky number unlucky number 12 is a good number because it's like easily like dividable divisible and, yeah and 13 is considered this like unlucky number and i mean some people might have even heard the like superstition of like if you have 13 at a table the first one to leave is like the first to die i've read harry potter i'm very familiar <laughs> Right. <laughs> I've read Harry Potter. Um, yeah. So good. You're familiar with <laughs> that that line of thinking. So yeah, it's interesting that like the fairies, it's like there's 12 of them. But then uh, also, yeah, like it's just funny to me that in that version, the reason why they didn't invite her, like the 13th one was because they were like, we don't have that many we place don't have settings. Place. Yeah. It's like... You've got like hundreds of other people. You you invited everybody to this party. Like, is it a big deal if she would eat off of the plates that everyone else is eating? Like, you know, who what? They said they only had the twelve gold plates. Yeah, and you're but, like, then get them. But these other people were eating off of plates, right? Like the relatives and the acquaintances <laughs> and the king and queen themselves. Like, what? So, was it really that big of a deal? And the next tale that I'm going to tell you, it actually that starts to become like a little more clear of like kind of like what the intent was behind like the place settings and why that mattered that that fairy couldn't eat off of like other people's Just any other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they're, and and I'm making fun of it, but there is like some logic because they were, because they're trying to, you know, the whole point of inviting them was so that they would get these like magical boons from them so they didn't they were trying to treat them very special. Yes. They wanted to make sure that they were respected so that their daughter would have the best chance of, you know, again, like getting these magical yeah. boons or whatever and not coming not crossing them and getting cursed like is what ended up happening. Yeah. No, and what's funny to me, because I'm just like, I don't know, I guess I'm thinking from like the term of like being one of the other fairies. I feel like I just would have been like, Do you want to use my plate? Or like, you can have my plate. Like it's yeah. okay. Like it doesn't matter that much to me. Like, like the other question too is, did they just like get really unlucky and happen to not invite the one wise woman that would be like super vengeful and like take offense to it? Or was it like just because if any of them hadn't been invited that they would have been just like angry, you know? Yeah. And it's one of those things where like when we talk about magical creatures fairy the fae they're one of those things where like they'll either be really really nice and do something wonderful for you or if you do like something slightly wrong and they feel offended they'll go completely the other way right there's like yeah yeah, there is it's funny because there seems to be like no middle ground with like fairies and so your question is valid of like if it had been another one would it have ended like just as bad right because and the other thing too and this at least in the version and translation that i read it doesn't say anywhere that they're like fairies it just says oh that's wise right wo- yours, wise women yeah so, you're right yours is wise women as opposed to the version i'm going to tell you which i think i've <laughs> prepped it enough i should probably just tell people 
<laughs> Go for it. So this is the second version that we're going to be telling you, and then there's going to be a third one. So, I mean, stick around <laughs> for all of them. Um, so the this next one that I'm going to be telling you, it's actually Charles Peralt. And so when we're talking timeline-wise... You have the Grimm's brothers, and they gathered up their stories in the early 1800s. And then Charles Perrault in the was writing his stories and collecting his stories in the late 1600s, like 1697, I think it was. Oh, like, wow. So that's quite a bit before. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like a. More than a hundred years before. Like enough time for a princess to go into a magical sleep and then wake up before they even started recording their stories. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be my measurement of time from now on. Like, was it long enough for a princess to go into a magical sleep and then wake up on her own or not? Because if not, then it wasn't really that long. Um. Yes. So a magical... <laughs> A magical spell could have put them to sleep. I love that. I'm like... Like, that's... <laughs> anyway, Sorry. Charles Perrault was writing his stories in France. So he got Grimm's Brothers, Germany. It's Germany before it was quite all the way Germany. European history is baffling to me. Most history is baffling to me. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so then you have Charles Perrault. So now we're back 100 years and we're in France. So, so that people know like where things are coming from and written. Charles Perrault also wrote the version of Cinderella that most people are familiar with through the Disney movie. Mm -hmm. He didn't write the Disney movie. <laughs> I just want to make sure <laughs> that I said that, like, not confusingly. Um, so Charles Perrault, his version was the one that was used in Cinderella. So we're at the beginning of the story again. So we've got this mother who can't get pregnant and she does not see a magical frog. But Aww. in the story, it does say that this mother, this queen, she was visiting uh, like magical wells, which I guess like a frog could pop out of. Oh yeah. Um, and she was going to different Holy lands, going on long pilgrimages, praying, going to all these like Holy places. And finally she was able to get pregnant. It doesn't she was working a lot harder for it than the other mom. That's yeah, who was just taking a bath and some frog was like, it's all chill. <laughs> Not this time. What I thought was interesting was they don't specify like which thing worked, like which like magic place that she went or holy place that she went fixed it. They're like, let's be honest. She went to so many. It's hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> She'd really hedged her bets by just going all out everywhere for everybody. So when she had her baby, they de decided to find all the fairies that they could and invite them to the christening and then the feast afterwards. And the reason why they wanted to invite all these fairies is so that they could make sure that their daughter had the best chances for a life that she could get. And so the only fairies that they found were seven so less than last time. It's fine. Yeah, but but a, a significant number. Yes, still a significant number. There were seven that they were able to find and they invited and seven showed up. And so at the huge feast that they had, each of the fairy guests were given a very special gift. 
Because as long as you give fairies favors, they will favor you. Mm. So each of them was given a golden case that held inside of it a golden place setting with forks and knives and spoons that had diamonds and rubies inlaid into them. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there were only seven cases made with seven yeah. place settings. That's it. I think we all know how this is going. <laughs> it would be very difficult to just pull out another one of those from nowhere. Yeah. And for the fairy to give a gift to the child, the fairies had to have received a gift. Right. So. And they're hoping that because it's such an amazing gift that they're giving the fairies, that the fairies will... Like, give them an equally amazing gift in return. Presumably. Presumably, yes. <laughs> this is how this is how gifts work. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh my gosh, is there a, a receipt in here? We got to see how much they spent. So we know how much the gift we've got to go has got to spend. I mean, look at there's diamond encrusted in here. Are these real diamonds or cubic zirconias? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'd be sad if they were like, I want a gift receipt. I already have so many of these. <laughs> 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 I'm like, maybe I can buy myself something else really nice. I need a condo, bigger tree. So, boom, a door opens. This super old ratchety fairy <laughs> <laughs> shows up and she is angry. And the only reason why she had not been invited was because she couldn't be found. No one had seen her for 50 years. Everyone thought yeah. she was dead. So, like, she's just- she, she might have thought that she was dead for a little while of that, too. So she, she comes in and she's so irritated because she was like, this is like the biggest party of the century. And I was not invited. And they were like, we don't know what to do. They set a place at the table for her to invite her so that she could have food. But she wasn't given a golden place setting. She wasn't given a case full of, like, this gift. Yeah. But they set a place for her and gave her food. So she sat down and she was, like, grumbling, talking under her breath, being all sassy (laughs) at the table. (laughs) And so the youngest fairy that was there was like, oh, my gosh, I think this lady's going to cause some trouble. Like, this is going to turn yeah. into, like, real housewives real fast. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the youngest fairy kind of quietly excused herself and faded back into, like, the curtains to hide. Because she wanted to keep an eye on what was going on. Because she was like, this lady is so mad. This old fairy is so mad. Yeah. Something is going to go down. And so at the end of the like feasting, it was blessings time. And so each of the fairies got up and gave a blessing. The first one was, of course, for beauty, because that's like always the first. Every single time they're always like, we bless you with beauty. Like first and foremost, how else are you going to get a husband? If you're not going to be beautiful, then what the heck else are any of these other gifts going to do for you? It's so frustrating to me. Nothing. (laughs) It's fine. Feminism wasn't a movement when this was written. Um, So (laughs) they gave her the blessing of beauty. They gave her the blessing of wit, which I love this. I learned wit is the combination of intelligence and humor. Mm. And it was wit 
in fairy tales is considered like another, it's a trait that's up there with like beauty where it's like, you want to be beautiful. Like you want to be handsome, good looking, but you also want to be witty. It's another one that's like high up there. They nice. gave her uh, the gift of graceful dancing. Ooh. The gift of kindness. Good. The gift of knowledge and wisdom, like how to use wisdom is using the knowledge that you have. Right. Intelligently. Um, and then musicality. So all of so they actually like listed the different things too, like all yeah, of them. That's kind of yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, and so when all of them that were at the table that had been in, that had been invited had spoken, the old fairy stood up and it was noted that she, she didn't give a curse. She created a fate for her. Which I think is very mm. interesting that they yeah. that she fated her with something. It's not that she Curse. cursed her. It's that she, which I guess giving somebody a curse is giving them a negative fate. But anyway, right? But it's like that she like made an end. But it, but the different. I understand where you're getting at though. The yeah. difference is different. It's like it's not just like oh something bad's gonna happen. But they're giving them a fate like it could have been a positive fate but it's basically like your your eventuality that is going to bring about your end or whatever yeah and or your ultimate good fate it could have been but yeah not with this grumpy old fairy and i also think it's very interesting that this is tied with fate because she cursed her that between her 15th or 16th year so not on her birthday but like between her 15th and 16th year she would prick her finger on a spindle and die. So what's interesting about that is that fate is tied into like weaving. We've talked about yeah. this before with like uh, the three fates and they're spinning or even in like Norse mythology, your fate is tied in with like the weaving. Right. And that being why like spindles and, you know, drop spindles and all these like textile Tools turn up in fairy tales all the time because they're very intertwined with fate. Yes, exactly. Intertwined. Intertwined. <laughs> um, pun intended. So she gave her this faith that when she pricked her finger on a spindle, she would die. So, which I'm like, a spindle is not a dangerous piece of equipment. So I think it's just funny that it's like... Yeah, it's, it's, it's really not a dangerous piece of equipment. It's not like a, a piano is going to fall on her head <laughs> and she will be crushed. Exactly. Like, like, like what? Anyway, that's fine. So the young fairy that was hiding in the corner came out in front of like, there's no like this fairy didn't like storm out of the castle or anything like that. The old one. Yeah. So she was sitting there for this part when the like young fairy that had been hiding came out. And she, of course, said... I can't change her fate, but I can make it better. She won't die, but she will sleep. Um, and so the important part is definitely like her specific blessing was that instead of dying, she will fall into a deep sleep, which will last 100 years. At the end of that time, a king's son will come and awaken her. And so this time the fairy spell actually mentions, mentions their, the yeah, prince, being... like mentions like their being a person that's going to be like involved with that. It's also interesting too, because she like rewrote the fate, just altered the fate that had already been 
decided for her. Yeah. So by the other one. Yeah. It was like, no, you're still going to have this fate. There's still going to be this like bad thing that happens, but we'll like twist it. So basically she'll die in the sense that everybody who knew her and was around her, she'd be dead to them. Right. And it's also still bad. It's not like, oh, you'll just fall asleep for a day and then wake up. It's like still a hundred years, yeah, like, you know, and it's probably, probably some of like the magical law is like, well, you can't go from death to like nothing. So you still have to have so, some major amount of time pass, I guess, in magical sleep. Yeah. That like, there has to be everything that was alive now will have passed through and been dead. Yeah. So that it's kind of like she's being reborn at the end because she's being born into a time and a place that she has never been in. Right. So doesn't know. Anybody. Yeah. So it's like in a, in a way it is still like a death because it is so long. So the king, of course, he tried to stop this tragedy from happening. So he's like, ah, get rid of all the spinning wheels and the spindles from people's homes, which like, so even like drop spindles, this stuff, everything, like anything that had a spindle, anything that you used to spin with, he was like, get rid of it. Which again, devastating to a kingdom's economy. (laughs) They're they're just going to wear like animal skins, I guess. I guess. Or they're going to have to like create a big like import system where they're getting things. Anyway, this has nothing to do with anything. I'm just really yeah, let's, concerned. Let's go in and talk about this some more <laughs> about the, the potential economic impact that this would have on this fairy tale kingdom. <laughs> this very, these minute details are so important. It reminds me of a case study I read about uh, <laughs> IBM back in 1987 when microprocessors. Like, surprise, this is an economics podcast. <laughs> We're discussing world economics. Which would economics. be really bad, because I know absolutely nothing about uh, any of that sort of thing. Super, then we'll go back to the fairy tales <laughs> that you know tons about. <laughs> that I actually don't know anything about either. What am I doing here? <laughs> Learning. I just like it. Learning, yeah, that's right. That's great. Teach me. <laughs> okay, so, of course, the king's trying to, like, circumvent everything doesn't work obviously like 15 years later uh the princess is walking around in her house and finds some old lady who's (laughs) hidden in a tower which i'm like i don't understand this Uh, yeah they never explained i didn't go to that in mine either i'm kind of like who is this lady they never explain like in in none of the like versions they don't like explain and this one they were just like this lady, she had been up here for so long that she didn't know what the king had said. You know who this lady is? This lady is the backbone of the economy. The only one producing textiles. They had just locked her in a cabinet. Like, be like keep going. It's even more confusing in this one because in mine, I just kind of assumed. And I, and I think like this is probably the Disney movie version of it too that gets in my head is that it's the... It's the, you know, the 13th wise woman is the one who's actually trying to make sure that the curse comes true that is doing it. But in this one, it's like, I mean, I guess it could be the fairy, but whatever. Anyway, doesn't matter. Yeah. So she goes in. There's this old lady who is up there. (laughs) She was just up there spinning. And I don't think in that one, it does not specify whether she was using a spinning wheel or a distaff and drop spindle. Which is very interesting to maybe just me because uh, in France at the time that this was written, the spinning wheel had not become popular yet. Uh. And so she might have just been using a drop spindle. 
I don't think it specifies. Yeah. And to be fair, too, I actually don't even know if it said that it was a... Uh, in yours, I think it spinning does. Spinning wheel. I actually, okay. I think it does in yours. Because um, it was the mid, I think, I want to say it was like 1738 or something when they started to become popular in France. They'd been invented in a long time. There's actually, right. there's a huge debate about when the spinning wheel was invented and what country, because some claim that it was in China and some claim it was like in India. Or mm-hmm. somewhere like in the Middle East. Yeah. But scholars have like debated this for a really long time. Not in relation to like fairy tales, but. <laughs> right, just in <laughs> yeah, general. Yeah, it's like neither here nor there. Um, So sorry for anyone who's like, no, I need this definitive answer of like when the spinning wheel was invented. But it wasn't being used in France. That commonly. Widely. Yeah, that widely when this was written. So they could have known about spinning wheels. So he could have written about it. Anyway, it's so not important. (laughs) (laughs) This is such a minor detail. But she's up there spinning in whatever way. And the princess comes in and she's like, whoa, I have never seen this before. This is fascinating. Will you show this to me? And the old lady was like, sure, sit down and like, let me help you. So the princess sat down and as she started spinning, she either through her clumsiness or through fate, she uh, pricked her finger on the spindle and immediately fell down into a deep sleep. And the old woman was scared, (laughs) obviously. Yeah. And called for help. And apparently, like, everybody ran upstairs and was trying to revive her. Still, nobody's like, who's this old lady? So So everyone's trying to revive the princess. She won't wake up. Finally, the king scoops up the princess and he lays her in a bed and he's really distraught and upset. Meanwhile, and this is weird and we will not get into it, but (laughs) my favorite type of (laughs) tangent. Yeah. I'm like, this is neither here nor there in this moment. So the good fairy was thousands of miles away at the time, but a dwarf that lived in the kingdom who had seven league boots, which are boots that, Every step that you take, it's seven leagues long. Oh, wow. Um, And it was a dwarf wearing seven league boots. So he went to find the fairy and he told her that so he could go quickly. And he told her what was happening in the kingdom. So she hitched up her cart, her like carriage to a dragon. Nice. Yes. To a dragon and flew back to the kingdom by this dragon, which so far is like the only reference to a dragon that I can relate with, like the Disney Maleficent, like yeah, where because like where this dragon come from? I'm like I don't know, maybe here. I don't know. It's hard to know. <laughs> and why we don't have these dwarf the dwarf in the seven league boots? That no, is pretty cool because it's like after that one sentence where they're like the dwarf used his seven league boots and then she came back with a dragon. Okay, now all those characters are completely gone from the story so you can just forget <laughs> about that because they never come back up in the story. Yeah, yeah until I write my fan fiction about that. <laughs> so, the good fairy got to the kingdom and she decided that she'd put everybody to sleep except for the king and the queen. Oh. I know, heartbreaking, rude. right? Yeah. I'm like, that is so sad. And so they've like waited so long to try to have this baby and they got the 15 years and then they're just gonna like 
continue to age while she's sleeping for the hundred years. I know. Gosh, that sucks. It is. I'm like, I'm really glad it got changed that like people, as they were telling the story, were like, that is the worst. I'm changing it. And they did. And that's why we don't, we don't know that detail where it's like, that's so sad. So as the king and queen were leaving, these plants started growing up all over the kingdom and were keeping it nice and secluded. So a hundred years went by and this prince was out hunting. He was from another kingdom, another castle, far away, whatever. So he was hunting and he saw these towers sticking up out of like all of this like foliage. And so he was asking people, what is that over there? And this is really interesting, and it'll come up later. People were telling him, oh, there's an ogre that lives in there, and it eats naughty girls and boys, and you should never go over there because it's really bad. (laughs) And it's fascinating to me that they said it was an ogre because it's going to come up later in the story. So Suddenly, Shrek. (laughs) Yes. That's exactly what this story is about. So... All these people were like, stay away from that castle. It's really bad. It's really scary. But then he comes across this old man. And this old man is like, I heard from my great grandfather that there is a princess that is sleeping up there. And she's waiting for a special prince to come and wake her from her spell. So the prince decides to go looking. And he's like, oh, everybody else told me there's an ogre. But one man told me that there might be a princess in there. (laughs) So it's worth checking out. (laughs) That's the one I'm going to believe. Yeah. (laughs) Like, okay, buddy. But as he was walking over there, all of the trees and shrubs that had been growing up around it parted from like where he was walking and was giving him this like clear path in, which in my mind, it's screaming like, it's a trap, but whatever, it's fine. So as he gets into like the kingdom, he's looking around and at first he thinks there's dead bodies everywhere. Because all of these people are fast asleep and they just fallen down exactly Uh, like where they were. But he's at first like terrified because he's like, oh my gosh, there's all these dead bodies. (laughs) But then he looks and he sees that they're all breathing and they all look healthy. Like their cheeks are rosy and glowing and they like not glowing like fluorescent. You know what I mean? They had a healthy glow about them. Healthy glow. Yes. And so he just kept walking like further and further in until he entered the room where the princess was asleep and he fell down onto his knees because he was amazed by her extremely great beauty. And as he stared at her, she woke up, which I'm like, notice that when the prince is involved in the spell, he also does not touch the woman. He just is there. He just walks into the room and is there in her presence. And she wakes up. And she wakes so up. So she wakes up and she looks at him and she says, what took you so long? That's only kind of a joke. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is I'm only kind of joking. She was like, is that you, my prince? You've taken a long time. So. Well, if you'll remember, it said it was going to be a hundred years. Yeah. Like, lady, calm down. But apparently the whole time that she'd been asleep, she had been dreaming about him. And Mm -hmm. so she already felt like she She, knew him. Yeah, because it's like she's not like, who are you, stranger? (gasps) Oh, it's so romantic. No, it's from the song. I know, but it's still romantic. (laughs) No, it's romantic because there's a song in Sleeping Beauty. (laughs) I know you. I've walked with you once upon a dream. 
I'd sing it, but I don't want to risk another cease and desist. Did you know that that song, they took the tune from the ballet from Tchaikovsky? No, I did not know that. Yeah, fun fact. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah, it's from the ballet. That song is actually from the ballet. And they just like wrote lyrics to it. Exactly, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, so everybody gets a bonus fact. (laughs) Because they came here to learn zero facts. (laughs) (laughs) So she woke up. And felt like she already knew him. So she was like already ready to marry him. Yeah. Everybody he was like, hey, lady, I just met you. Yeah. And this is crazy. No, I want you to think about the lyrics and do a whole verse like that. I know. I was trying to think of what else I could get to go into it. But I just met you. But you just woke up. So calm down, maybe. And have my I babies. Anyway, no. So everybody in the kingdom started to wake up and they were super hungry. Which I was really glad that they mentioned <laughs> because that's always what I think like after a hundred years and they like wake up, I'm like, I'd be so hungry because <laughs> that's apparently all I care about. So while the prince and the princess were talking and planning their wedding, a great feast was prepared for all of them. And they all sat down when everything was ready and they had a grand feast. And when that was done, They all went to the castle chapel and were there when the prince and princess got married to each other immediately. Wow. And they all lived happily. No, I'm just joking. The story is only half over, which is insane. Yeah. Because that's normally when it ends. It's like, oh, yay, this is happening. This is great. Yeah, they get married and that's the end. Everyone's happy. Yeah, I'm like, this is perfect. So after the wedding... The prince and the princess went back to her bedroom, and it says in the story that they did not sleep at all that night. Sleeping Beauty had no need for sleep because she had already slept for so long, which I'm like, wow, guys. <laughs> They're like, but she had need for some sweet, sweet loving. Apparently, yes. So the next morning after their wedding night, the prince left to go back to his parents' And the kingdom that he came from. Yeah, he's like, they don't know that I'm married, so I should probably break that news to them sooner than later. Except he doesn't. Oh, man. Oh, snap. So he gets back, and he told his dad was like, where were you all night? We were worried about you. (laughs) And the prince was like, oh, I was out hunting, and then I got lost, but I slept in this cottage, and I got fed, and I'm fine. Like, everything is okay. What? So the reason why he did not want to tell them that he got married is because his mother, the queen, was an ogress. What? What? (laughs) So that means he's like half ogre. So I'm like, is he Shrek? Yeah, maybe he's Shrek. Yeah, like that's why he wasn't afraid of the ogre that was in the castle. I guess so, because he was like, it's my he's uncle. Like, oh, they're confused. They're thinking of the rumors of the ogre that lives in the castle that I live in. It can't be this castle. <laughs> can't be this castle because the ogre is back at my place. <laughs> so yeah, like his mom is an ogre and she likes to eat people and children. Apparently, and what? so yeah. No, I know. I'm I'm also upset about it, Jeff. <laughs> this took a turn. It yes, it definitely took a weird turn. <laughs> so, the king had married the ogress for her money. Apparently, that's what it oh. says in the story. That like he wouldn't have married her except that she was very very rich. And I'm like, so the king was a gold digger. 
<laughs> yeah. And so now we're back to a story with cannibalism because there's like <laughs> somehow we will always find ourselves here in cannibalism. Just drawn to it. Seriously. Drawn and quartered to cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> so the prince kept going back to visit his wife. Yeah. And he'd be gone for like weeks at a time. And then he'd get home and his family would be like, where were you? And he was like, you know, I was just, I was hunting. I got lost again. I decided to camp out there. Oh, I was chasing this thing and it went on for a while. Like he always came back with some excuse. Yeah. His mom was pretty convinced that he had a lover somewhere. (laughs) So that's the only reason you'd spend weeks away in the woods. Yeah. She was like not buying it when he was like, I'm staying at a cabin out there. It's totally fine. She's like, "Uh, yeah. I'm sure, buddy. Sure you are. He's always coming back all happy. (laughs) (laughs) So in two years time, he and his wife had two children. They had a daughter that they, guess what they named her? Uh, Aurora. Yes, you did it. Yeah. They named her Aurora, which also means the dawn, like the dawning of a new day. Um, right. So yeah, they named her Aurora, so people should be excited because now we've got Briar Rose from the Grimm's Brothers. So now we found Aurora, except Aurora's not Sleeping Beauty in this story; it's the daughter. Yeah, hmm. complicated, but she gets a name, so whatever. Um, so it's all good. Yeah, so it's all good. And then they also had a son, and they named him Day, which is not as cool of a name. Just D A Y Day. Dawn and day. Dawn and day. Oh, but I do want to note that the name day, it shows up in Norse mythology. So I don't know if there's a connection to why it shows up in this story. But just so that people know, like, there is kind of a reference back to Norse mythology right there. But anyway. So he had two kids in two years. That's pretty speedy. My body can't handle that, but whatever. (laughs) I guess she's fine. She'd had a lot of sleep, okay? (laughs) So, so two more years went by. So now it's been four years since uh, the princess woke up. So the king died. And this meant that now the prince was the new king, and he could pull his wife, the young queen, out of hiding. Mm Mm-hmm. And bring her to his castle, which I'm like, that does not make sense. The reason why it was like the reason why he was hiding them was because of his mom, not because yeah. of the king. But anyway, I don't I don't know. His logic does not track to me, but I guess he was like, I'm king. So now my mom can't eat my children. Yeah. Something. Yeah. It does not make sense to me. It's fine. <laughs> like, whatever. So he brings his wife and his kids to his kingdom and is like, guess what? I've been married this whole time. This is my wife. She is going to be the young queen. Perfect. But then he has to go off to war because he's the king and he's the leader of the army as the king. So he has to go off to war and he leaves his mother in charge. Which again, why? I anyway, it's It's not fine, but I'm going to keep saying it's fine. (laughs) It's whatever. It is what it is. Yeah, I can't change it, I guess, is what I mean by it's fine. I can kind of, 
I can kind of see, you know, like if his father and the ogre queen were like ruling together because he's been off doing his thing with the other princess. Like his wife doesn't know about the workings of his kingdom. I I can kind of see like, but still, she's an ogre. Yeah. And he's like, dude. And she eats babies. Yeah. (laughs) So. I don't feel good about it. He's like, I don't feel. that. Yeah. So, the queen decides that she's hungry and she wants to eat a baby. <laughs> so, so, she tells, she goes to the chef and is like, hey, I need you to cook Aurora for dinner for me. <sighs> and the story says the chef didn't feel good about this. Yeah. Like, he felt really bad about it because of the cannibalism and the infanticide, probably. And, probably. and because apparently he knew Aurora personally. So he went into her bedroom to kill her with a knife, but the little girl saw him and she like, you know, did like a little scream laugh that little kids do. And then she ran over to him Uh and she threw her arms around his neck and gave him kisses. And he was like, oh, man, I can't kill this kid, (laughs) which he should have realized before he went in the room. Yeah, for real. But he realized, I guess, in that moment. So it's fine. So he decides what he's going to do is he's going to hide the child with his wife and he's going to kill a kid, a baby goat, not another child. Yeah, (laughs) Right. (laughs) Just some random kid that he doesn't have such attachment to. (laughs) Yeah. I felt like when it said he killed a kid that they needed to specify. (laughs) Because I'm like, he was just about to kill. Never mind. So he killed a baby goat and he cooked that up in a really delicious sauce of his own invention. And he fed it to the queen. And she was like, this is amazing. This dish is fabulous. It's fantastic. I love this. This tastes so good. So when she ran out of leftovers, she was like, okay, I'm getting hungry. So she was like to the chef, can you go kill Day? But put him in the same sauce because it was so good. (laughs) So this time the chef just went in and took the kid and brought him to the to his wife and again cooked up some goat with his sauce fed it to the queen and she was like this is so good meanwhile the princess or the young queen not the ogress the young queen who used to be called sleeping beauty but now her story has gone on so long that it's like you can't even remember (laughs) that that even happened to her at the beginning (laughs) She's really upset because she does not know where her children are. And so she's been just looking everywhere, like wandering around, sobbing. Because she thinks she's like, my kids are lost. They were like four and three years old and they're gone. So she's like super upset, crying, looking everywhere. And the queen was like, okay, two things. I'm hungry and I'm sick of this lady crying. So (laughs) (laughs) So she says to the chef, I need you to go kill the young queen and feed her to me in the same amazing sauce because it was so good. (laughs) Must have been that McDonald's Szechuan sauce. (laughs) (laughs) You'd kill a queen for it. So the chef this time, he's like, I don't know what to do because the queen is much older and has tougher meat than the children. (laughs) So he didn't know what a good like meat substitute would be. He's like, well, yeah. Which I'm like, buddy, that's not the best. And he's like, it, 
It just, it doesn't reflect well on him, I don't think. It's like, I need this to be authentic. Yeah, he was like, how am I going to trick this lady? Because, like, obviously 120-year-old women, their meat tastes different from babies. (laughs) Yeah. Obviously. Obviously. We all know this. (laughs) So he goes into the queen's, the young queen's part of the house, her cottage, wherever. She lives in a different area than like the main house, which I think is for the best. But he went, uh, he went, <laughs> he went over there and he found her crying and he's holding a knife and he's like, I'm so sorry. I have to do this. And she was like, do it. Kill me. My babies are gone. I don't want to live anymore. Just do it. And he was like, no, your babies aren't gone. My wife has them. They're fine. We can figure something out. So the chef tells her everything. He's like, I have your kids. They're with my wife. I won't kill you because I feel badly about it. So he goes out and he finds an older deer. And he like. But he was so ready to. Though. I know. Each time he's like. He All like right, went I'm into her with a knife. And then when they confront him with their feelings, he's like, oh, fine. I won't kill you. So he killed an old deer, which, as everybody knows, has the exact same meat texture and feel as a 120-year-old princess. Oh, yeah. Obviously. So he cooks that up for the queen, and she is so happy, and everything works out really well for her. But one night, after the queen thinks that she, the, the ogress queen, thinks that she's eaten everybody, she hears this little boy crying down in the kitchen downstairs. And she was like, like, "Mm, I could go for a snack. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's like "Mm, midnight snack. (laughs) So she goes downstairs and she finds like, she's looking around like a corner and she hears and finds the young prince or the young queen scolding day because he had been sneaking off into the kitchen and he's being naughty. And so she's like, you can't be in here. You're being naughty. And the little boy's crying. And the queen is like, I've been lied to. So she decides what she's going to do is she's going to get a large tub of snakes, toads, vipers, and other poisonous, slimy things. Mm. Get it brought to the town square. And she's going to publicly execute the. What? Yeah, she was going to kill the young queen, the children, the chef, and his wife for lying to her, like publicly by throwing them into this like giant tub of Of like snakes and reptiles and gross things yeah jeez yeah so as they're all about to be thrown in the young king enters the courtyard he got home from the war early and was so excited to come home to his family but what (laughs) does he see this crazy nonsense horrible horrible scene (laughs) so the queen then in her rage at being stopped jumps into the tub and then is devoured by all of the creatures. Good. And that's the end of Sleeping Beauty. (laughs) Yeah, what on earth? So, the whole second half of that story is probably unfamiliar to pretty much everybody. But, in a version that comes a hundred years earlier than this one, Oh, man. The shortest part of the story is the beginning. 
And the oh, the, and it goes on to and well, and the second half of the story after the like waking up is yeah, the that's like the main yeah that's the main part of the story. I was gonna say it sounds like it's just two different tales that were smushed together. Yeah, and it basically I think what it was was that people resonated better with the story at the beginning, and so they elongated yeah. it. And then eventually that tail end story got like chopped off because they were like, that's, that's not, that's not what we like. <laughs> that's garbage. That's, gar- <laughs> that's nonsense garbage. <laughs> no one wants to hear this. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Nothing is better after a long day cruising down Route 66 than finding a great place to get delicious food. Before you stop in at the famous Jackrabbit Trading Post, head over to Mr. G's Pizza in idyllic Joseph City, Arizona. Enjoy pizzas made to order, toasted subs, or fresh salads. And when you're done, grab some ice cream to enjoy while you get back on that beautiful Route 66. Remember to ask for Andy and let him know that he needs to pay those traffic fines whether or not the aliens do come back for him. He won't need that money in space. Mr. G's Pizza has been family-owned for 25 years, and when you're there, you're family too. But not Andy. He just works there. So, Gian Battista Basile was an Italian Ooh. born in 15... 15- With a great name. <laughs> I know. Gian Battista Basile. He was born in 1566. And he was kind of the bridge... Between old world storytelling, the the Greek myths, mm-hmm. and what became kind of the stories that are familiar to everybody today. So right. he was taking those stories in Italy and he was writing them down, collecting them. And it was kind of in his point in time, it was kind of the first time that people were collecting these stories and putting them down. In writing. Yeah. Right. And so he became this this really weird bridge between like the early stories and what we know today. And so yeah. his story that I'm about to tell you is a lot less Disney and a lot more Greek mythology kind of motifs. Wow. Yeah. And so this story. It resembles Sleeping Beauty, but it also you it's like you have to know that middle chunk of Charles Peralt. Yeah. Before you can know this one or else you can't quite make the leap. Several times when I have talked about fairy tales, like in my life with other people, they always bring up like, oh, there's actually darker versions. Like they're like, oh, different places are earlier. People usually say the original was so much darker. Yeah. Which people already should know by now. I hate it when they say that because it's not correct to to call anything the original because these are oral tales. We don't know what the originals are. Sleeping Beauty is one where people always say, oh, did you know that the in, in the original version, Sleeping Beauty got, gets raped? And so this is your content warning. If you do not want to hear a story, I promise it will be brief. I'm not going to glorify it or kind of stay on the topic. But if you want to skip this one, 
I understand. Because this is the one that people are talking about when they say that. But again, it's not the original. And it doesn't mean that it's like the most pure or perfect version of the story. Mm -hmm. And so I see no reason in like glorifying the worst versions of the tales or the versions of the tales that I think deserve less voice. Yeah. I will say it that way. Or that are problematic in the sense that they do not resolve the issues that they bring up. Because I do appreciate modern versions where they talk about and elaborate on these themes. Mm -hmm. And actually look at and dissect why they are wrong and not okay. So, with all that said, (laughs) Jean-Baptiste Bessile's version of Sleeping Beauty... But it is called Sun, Moon, and Talia. So there was once a great lord or a king whose wife had a baby girl, and they named her Talia. That's a good sign. They're giving her a name right off of the bat. Yeah, that's nice. Which is something that I appreciated fairy tales, because so many of them, they're just like, it gets hard, especially in our retellings, where like, the queen, but the young queen, not the ogre queen, because none of these people have names. Yeah. So the king summoned all of the fortune tellers and wise men that were in the area to tell him what great destiny awaited his beautiful daughter. But instead, they told him that they saw a great danger in her future, all from a tiny piece of flax. So they weren't specific about it because they're just fortune tellers. They're just looking kind of into a vague future. And so they saw this great danger that was going to come from a tiny piece of flax. And so the king, of course, trying to get around this common motif, trying to (laughs) cheat fate, it never works. So he issued a rule that no one was to have flax or hemp in his house, which I think is hilarious. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) No hemp. This is where it it starts. (laughs) Reefer madness. (laughs) So... He tried to get everybody just in his house, said just in his house. So it wasn't like a whole kingdom getting shut down or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fast forward many, many years and his daughter Talia has grown into a young woman and she's staring out of the window of her father's house and she sees an old woman below who's walking with a distaff and drop spindle. Because the further oh. back in time we go, <laughs> the less the technology. <laughs> the less yeah. At least she wasn't creepily locked in some random tower of the house, too. Well, so it sounds like the girl maybe grew up locked inside the house. So the, But I don't know, because then she goes out yeah. to the old woman. So I don't know. But yes, the old woman wasn't locked inside of a house, forgotten for how many years this time. So the daughter, Talia, she was curious about the drop spindle. Because it looks pretty cool when somebody's, like, pulling it out. Uh-huh. And so she asked the lady to show her how it works. So the woman is showing her, and then she was like, I want to give it a try. And the old lady's like, sure, why not? <clears throat> and I will say this about flax. Like, if it's not wetted properly, like, apparently, like, it can cut up your fingers, like, pretty badly. Oh, wow, And really? so, like, it is. That makes sense. Yeah, so it's like, it is sharp. Because um, it's, like, splinters, like, plant fiber, like, splinters. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even, like, woven flax is not, like, the... Uh most flexible and uh, soft of materials. Yeah. Uh, so this sharp piece of flax stuck underneath her finger 
And it went like under her, kind of like under her nail, which I'm like, ow, ow, ow. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I can feel that. I know. <laughs> it's like, ooh. And then she fell down, seemingly dead, to the earth. Which I'm like, that's not a life-ending injury. Like, it's not a career-ender. <laughs> oh. But if we're going back, like, mythology-wise, thinking about it. Yeah. Getting shot in the ankle with an arrow also is not a career-ender. Right. So it makes kind of sense. Except it doesn't. <laughs> Except for the fact that it doesn't make any sense at all, it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. So what I thought was funny in this story is when the girl falls down dead, the woman immediately just starts running away and is like, oh, I killed, killed the daughter of the king. Gotta run. <laughs> so the father heard like yelling in the streets and he went down and he saw his daughter dead. So the father, he went out to his daughter and he held her and he was crying because she was the most precious thing to him. Yeah. And now she was gone, just like had been predicted, and he was so sad. He picked her up, and he carried her into the house, and he laid her down in her bed. And as he looked at her, he knew that he would never be happy another moment in his house. And so he closed the doors to his house, he locked it, and he left, never to return. Oh. No one says anything about the mom. No. So, I don't know. Maybe she died in childbirth. Who knows? That's common. Yeah. That sounds like something would happen. So, a very, very long time passed. A number is not given. But many, many years passed. And another king from another kingdom was out hunting with his falcon. Nice. A falconer. This king is baller. Yes. No, he's the worst. So, (laughs) I'm like, no, do not like this person. So, he released his falcon, and it flew off, and he was watching it fly, and all of a sudden, it swooped down into the window of a house, and it did not come out. (laughs) And he was like, oh, no, I needed that. (laughs) And so, he went over to the house and was banging on the door, calling out. Nobody was answering. Nobody was coming to the door, and he found a ladder. And he put it up against the side of the house and he climbed up into the window that the falcon had flown into. And inside he saw Talia laying down and he called out to her and was like, yo, (laughs) wake up. I need to find my falcon. (laughs) My ball went in your yard. But she didn't move. And so he climbed through the window and he tried to shake her, but she didn't wake up. But she was warm, so he couldn't figure out why she wasn't Uh waking up. So he decided that he would rape her. Oh, man. He is the worst. He is the absolute worst. In my mind, I'm just imagining, like, at the beginning of Kill Bill, when some guy was doing this to Uma Thurman and then she just woke Uh up and, like, murdered the guy. Yeah, Buck. Yeah. I wish that this happened in this story, but it didn't. You wish that she woke up and like slammed his head in the door frame, just like in Kill Bill. Yes, absolutely. That's what I wish. He deserves it. He does. Because I'm like, he was like, oh, this girl's alive, but she's unresponsive. I'm like, you're the worst. What's the first thing that comes to his mind? Yeah. So after he just leaves because he's the worst. But to say we thought he was cool because he was a falconer. Yeah, you thought he was cool because he had a falcon, but no. He is the worst. Never trust a dude with a falcon. No. Never. 
nine months been burned once and that's too many. Yep. So nine months later, Talia gave birth to twins, a boy and a girl. And they were absolutely beautiful, but their mother did not wake up. And two fairies that were flying past. So now we finally have fairies in the story because they were nowhere to be found before. Lady gave birth to babies while sleeping. Yeah, which I actually heard like in my birthing class, like you're like the female body can push out a baby. Yeah. Regardless of like your responsiveness, which is why for a while, like doctors used to knock women out when they were in labor because they were like, I can't deal with all the screaming. (laughs) It's easier this way. Yeah. Like, oh, it's less painful. It's like, "Mm, I don't know, buddy. Anyway. So two fairies flew by and they heard the babies crying and they flew into the window and saw the mother asleep. And so they took the babies and they put them on their mother's breast so that she could like breastfeed them. Yeah. And so the fairies stayed with the babies and Talia and helped the mother like care for the babies. So they took care of them and Talia fed them. And one day, one of the children came unlatched from their mother and was just, like, rooting around like little babies do and started sucking on her finger. And the piece of flax that had gone into her finger got sucked out by the baby sucking on her finger, which I'm like, that's a pretty strong latch. Yeah. As a woman who's nursed babies. (laughs) (laughs) Like, ow. But it woke their mother up instantly because the flax had been removed from her finger. Yeah. So she woke up obviously confused because she had two babies, two beautiful, like gorgeous babies. Yeah. And she did not know what was going on. But the fairies told her the parts that they knew was just like, you had babies, but you were asleep when we found you. And so we helped... To keep your babies alive, that's like what we did. And she was like, thank you so much. And so the fairies actually stayed with her and helped her while she adjusted to being a new mom, which I'm like, oh my goodness, fairy godmothers, they definitely are. <laughs> like That should come standard home with you from the hospital for every birth. Two fairies. A one for each child. Oh, I guess that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good number. So soon after that, the king was once again out hunting. And he suddenly remembered the sleeping woman and decided to, quote, go see her, which, okay, I'm like, you are a horrible piece of turd. I hope your falcon bites your eyes out. I seriously do. And so because I'm like, we know what go see her means, dude. Like, you're the worst. And so when he gets to her house, she's awake. And is like, oh, whoa, what? And so he actually, like, tells her what he did, like, where the babies come from. Like, he was like, oh, yeah, those are because the babies were so beautiful that he wanted them. Yeah. And so he was like, oh, those are my children. Because I guess he thinks he's the only rapist in the kingdom. So he's like, he's, he's like, they have to be mine. He's the worst. What other sicko would think? (laughs) Yeah, he's like, obviously, I'm the only sicko in this whole town. Anyway, so somehow she grew very fond of this piece of crap. (laughs) I'm so upset. 
So he kind of filled her in on like the details and they got to talking with each other and getting to know each other. And she started to grow very fond of him. I mean, this is a king. Her father had been a king. So like, oh, he's obviously a very well-to-do piece of crap. And so he told her that he couldn't stay with her then, but he would come back very soon to get her and bring her back with him to his kingdom. Uh So then he went home to his wife. (sighs) He's the worst. I hate this guy so much. So he went back to his wife and there was dinner like all laid out and they're having dinner. And he's like, oh, yeah, like I met a girl today. Her name is Talia. She has these two like gorgeous children, blah, 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 blah. And he's like talking nonstop about Talia and these two kids, which he has decided he he has decided to name Sun and Moon. Mm. I don't know why he gets to name these children. I'm so upset. But side note, again, these names, Sun and Moon, there's actually twins in Norse mythology that have those names also. But that's like the only reference that's not a Greek reference that I noticed in this story. So again, I don't know whether there actually is a connection or if I've just read so many stories that now like I feel like everything is connected like a weird conspiracy theory. So he's talking nonstop about them and his wife obviously got suspicious because it's yeah, like she's like uh why are you so obsessed with this woman and her children dude yeah i'm like have you never been to middle school like <laughs> if your friend like and if anybody is in middle school right now listening to this we know you'll relate yeah you're making it really obvious that you like somebody or something's going on when you're talking non-stop about them and like keep mentioning them like i used to always wonder why my mom would be like do you like that boy? And I'm like, what are you talking about, mom? Uh, Why would you think that? Why would you think that? Obviously, don't. Gross. And then I would talk about the guy, like, just nonstop. (laughs) I'm like, why would my mom think this? I'm like, Katrina. Anyway, so she started to get suspicious. So she went to the king's secretary, and she basically said, you're between a rock and a hard place. What she actually said is a was a reference to some Greek mythology. She mentions two characters in like the Odyssey, but what she basically meant was like you're in between a rock and a hard place. That you can either defend my husband or help me find out who this lady is. If you find if you help me find out who this lady is, I will make you rich. And if not, I will find a way to have you killed. And he was like, "Mm, well, being rich sounds nice. (laughs) And she's like, okay, I want you to find this Talia woman and tell her that my husband wants to see her children's sun and moon because he has like a special surprise for them. Which I'm like, that's so weird. I would never just send my children off with like some random. I don't know. Yeah. She thought that it was like the king wanted like the kids and was coming to get them. Whatever. Talia sent sun and moon over to the kingdom. So when the woman saw gorgeous sun and moon, when the queen saw these like gorgeous children, she handed them to the cook and was like, I need you to cook up these children. (gasps) Oh, no. Come on. She wasn't even an ogre. She wasn't even an ogre. She was just a woman scorned. Yeah. 
So. With terrible taste, like as far as in men. Yeah. So maybe she wasn't much better. Well, she didn't want to eat them, see, Jeff. See, what she wanted to do with them, Jeff, was she <laughs> wanted, Jeff, she <laughs> she wanted to feed those children to her husband. Oh. Yes. <laughs> I'm seeing the Greek and Roman influence yes, coming in. Yes, yes. I think it even said, like, she had the heart of Medea in her. I've seen Tyler Perry's movies. I know who Medea is. <laughs> That's exactly right. Which, actually, I haven't seen really any of those movies. I haven't but. either. There's a Shakespeare play where they tell the story of Medea. Well, Euripides did. Euripides, who's a Greek playwright. Yes. You know, apparently did one back in, like, you know, 400 BC or something based on the the myth of Jason and Medea. So even like in the story, it said she had the heart of Medea planted in her, which is definitely a reference yeah. to people eating babies, killing and eating babies, if people don't know. So she hands the babies to the cook and is like, I want you to cook these children. And the cook's like, okay. So he takes the babies and he's like, okay, that's messed up. That woman's obviously crazy. <laughs> so he gives the babies to his wife and is like, can you hide those? Because there's some craziness happening. So she takes the babies and hides them. And the cook makes this like excellent like stew and they like sit down to eat. And the husband is just, like, eating it. The king is just, like, eating all this, like, honey, this is so delicious. These, this is so good. And she goes, yes, you should eat what's yours. And he's like, oh. and he was like, all of this is mine. I don't know why you're being so catty to me right now, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Because <laughs> he thought she was making some, like, passive aggressive. Yeah, he thought she was making yeah. some passive aggressive comment, which I'm like, their marriage is not good, guys. No. That was my first clue. <laughs> if you're making passive, if you think that somebody is always making passive aggressive comments at you, you probably don't have a good relationship. So she kept kind of like doing that, like insisting like, no, you should eat it. You should eat it because it's yours. And he's like, it's not, it's not going in. He's not getting it. So he eats like all the food he thinks is delicious. He's like, honey, why aren't you eating yours? And she was like, oh, I do not like it for it's not mine. And he's like, oh, I can't even deal with you. So... Dinner ends badly. They are not doing well as a couple, obviously. <laughs> so the queen is still mad. And so she decides, she goes to the secretary and is like, I need you to invite Talia over to the house so that I can murder her. And the secretary is like, sure thing. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> so he goes and he gets Talia and is like, oh, your children and the king would like to see you. And she was like, well, of course they do. So Talia comes over to the house and she is greeted by the queen and the queen like rips into her. And this is my first clue that this is definitely not a story that is written for children <laughs> because she called, she called her a lot of like a lot of naughty names, Jeff. Oh no. Just salacious. But yeah, there is a there's a lot of cursing in this section, which I'm like, the queen was feeling a lot of feelings. So when Talia heard all of that, 
That was the first time that she realized that, like, the king was married. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, oh. Which I'm like, that's, like, it's like, it's not her. Huh. So she told, yeah. she started to apologize to the queen. And she was, like, telling her that it was not her fault. And that the king, when he had, quote, taken possession of her territory. Which, that's code for he raped her, in case anyone was wondering. Yeah. She said, like, she was not awake for that. She was under a spell. Uh-huh. And that she had nothing to do. Like, she didn't consent. Like, none of this. She didn't know any of this. Yeah. But the queen was still super, super mad. Which, if anybody is getting some Zeus and Hera vibes from this, mm. you're supposed to. Like, you're supposed to be getting some, <laughs> like, Zeus and Hera vibes from this story. So the queen did not want to listen to any of the sobbing. And so she was like, a fire has been made for you. We are going to burn you up in this fire. And Talia started crying and she was like, well, before you burn me up, let me undress myself so that you can have all of the gold and jeweled clothing, all the fine clothing that I'm wearing. And the queen, I was like, this was like harsh because she was like, oh, good. Like, I want to wear those things. And she's like, the ashes from your body will be used to make soap to wash off those clothes, which I'm like, oh, oh, man. So as they were then dragging her naked body, like screaming towards the fire, the king ran in and discovered what was going on. And he demanded to know the whole story. So he asked his wife, what's going on? And she told him, like, I fed you your children because I know what you did. You're a piece of garbage. And he was like, oh, my gosh. I am the wolf that ate my own kids, which I'm like, oh, I don't feel bad for him. (laughs) And so in his rage, he threw her into the fire and then he grabbed his secretary and flew through him into the fire. To be burned up. And then he called for the cook to be brought in so that he could throw him into the fire. So when he brought the cook in, the cook was like, no, 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 no. Your kids are alive. Your kids are fine. My wife has them. And he's like, prove it. So the wife comes in and she's got these two. She's got sun and moon, the beautiful, gorgeous babies that he was like, yes, those are my beautiful, gorgeous babies. And everybody, I guess, lived happily ever after. Oh. The end. Except the king was still a giant turd that learned absolutely nothing about how horrible he was. So, that's the story of Sleeping Beauty. (laughs) (laughs) I take it back. I don't want the grisly versions anymore. No. They're not, I'm like, they're not like the superior versions or like the best versions or like the ones that... Because I think the best version of any fairy tale is the version that speaks to you. That, like, you can get something meaningful out of. So, to me, this version, this last version that we're telling, but by no means the only version. Yeah. Or or even the earliest version. This one does not speak to me. This one just makes me angry and mad and upset. Yeah. There were interesting things about I think one of the things just being that it's so unfamiliar relatively you know it's like it's like we talked about before it's like barely even sleeping beauty yeah except that part is like a pretty important part to the story because it's what leads into the rest of it but it is interesting how this story does tie those two things together like 
it makes sense why she was asleep because that's how she was had these kids that she didn't really know about and how she got in the situation that she didn't really have any agency over being a part of. Yeah. Whereas in the, you know, the in-between version, like the Charles Perrault version, it's kind of like, here are two separate tales. This magical tale of a girl who is cursed because someone didn't get an invite to her birthday party. <laughs> and then the story of like the man she falls in love with and like the evil ogre mother-in-law, you know, whereas yeah. in this one there, those two things are very connected. Like one caused the other to happen. Yeah. And it is so it's like when you go back through the telling of them, each of them is like a hundred years distant from each other. Yeah. Being down. But you can see that, like that growth and that change happening, yeah, to the story. And you can kind of see also that, like, why people are like, "Uh, I'm, I don't like this part," or like, "This part isn't the good part or the meaningful part." Right. And it's like even going back, you know, we talked about like, oh, the grisly, gruesome details or whatever. Like in ones that it kind of remains, like later on, like you know, the Grimm's, they have the kind of grisly details in the Cinderella story. They're kind of fun to tell in those versions because it's yeah. bad things happening to bad people. Yeah. Whereas like like this story as written here is like not a fun one to tell because you're like talking about like really bad things happening to innocent people and you know what I mean? And like yeah. even when bad things are happening to bad people, it's like bad th- innocent people are being hurt for the bad things to happen to the bad people. And it's just like you, you can't like revel in, in the grisly gruesome details of it the same way that you can of like the stepsister's feet getting cut off or whatever. Yeah. Are there, yeah, there's like, there's not that same like cathartic feeling of like, and everything was made right at the end. Yeah. Because I mean, we love stories that have conflict. We love stories that have bad guys in them, but we also like that to be addressed or resolved in some way. Totally. And so like the last version, it is like the person who is the worst person in the whole story Gets nothing lives at happily the end. ever after. He, li- yeah. he lives happily ever after. He gets this like young princess. He gets these like gorgeous kids and like his wife, who he's doesn't love and does not treat well. He kills her. Yeah. And so there's nothing like yeah cathartic about that. It's just like a reminder that like good things happen to horrible people. It is totally like the gritty realism version of the story yeah in a sense like taking out the magical elements of it it's like you could see somewhat of like the reality like you could see this happening in real life to some extent except that it's like you find out oh like your husband has like another family yeah and it's this young and impressionable young woman who they took advantage of yeah they took advantage of and now has to try to make the best of a bad situation and yeah. it's like, yeah, he's horrible, but he's a king and my kingdom has fallen apart while like I was sleeping or whatever. Like, yeah. In modern terms, it's like, yeah, there are a lot of people who are like, I don't want to leave this bad situation because I don't have a lot good to fall back on anyway. Yeah. And I do see what you're saying. Like, this could make for a really interesting modernization where it continues again from this point. To show what, like, Talia does, who is clearly the character that we want to be pulling for. You know, I think there's an interesting place that it could go from here, but it's definitely not a satisfying ending to the story. 
in Jean-Baptiste Basile's version, they kind of have this moral at the end. It's less of a moral and more of kind of like, and the point of this story is, mm-hmm. they say, for those who are lucky, good rains down even when they are asleep. Ugh. And I'm like, no, that's not what it teaches us at all. <laughs> no. Because while she was sleeping, good did not rain down on her. No. That. At all. It's like the only the only maybe good thing could be like she has these great children that could turn out to be awesome and she could love them. But it's like still such a horrible situation to be yeah. put into to even get those children, you know? Yeah. Strong and disagree with yeah, that. Strong disagree. So, yeah. People who tell you like, oh, did you know that in the original version of Sleeping Beauty, you can be like, uh, 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 No. <laughs> I don't even want to hear it. It's garbage. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. This episode contains additional music from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. Check him out at incompetech.com. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. And the woman's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm spinning. That was the weirdest way to say that. I'm spinning. (laughs) I'm spinning. (laughs)